The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Wednesday night edition of the pod and wanted to do things a little bit backwards today. We're actually going to start with a, a few mailbag questions submitted by our Patreon subscribers. Patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue is how you subscribe there. We're going to have a full mailbag pod with the rest of these questions coming out, but we had a few that we wanted to get to as well here on the free program. So uh, let's get right to it here, Danny. Uh, anybody's question really showing out for you here? We can start with one uh, from Brian, which was which changed a little bit since it was asked, but not much. So the question was that prior to the season, the Twitter consensus or whatever was that the Sixers would be better served having Dario Sharge come off the bench as his skill set was, was redundant with Simmons. But the starting five, basically including both those, has been among the league's best. That's toned down a little bit. Moving forward, does it make sense to trot out some iteration of the supersized lineup or would the ideal include something closer to what they hoped Fultz would be? Well, I think you really need someone else who can create off a pick and roll other than Ben Simmons on this team. And Sarge is not really necessarily necessarily that guy. And for all the talk about how well Sarge is playing, his taking a few more threes not getting to the foul line quite as much he didn't even have a, a high free throw rate last year usage is down to under 20 percent this year with the additional threats that they have but he's still not really particularly efficient 520 true shooting and it's nice to have more size it's nice to have the option of going into the post, though they've not utilized that too much. Sharge's three-point shooting has looked better, but 34%, pretty much the same rate per 36 minutes as last year. So I do think ultimately you would want to have a little more shooting there because they have Covington and Redick, although Covington, you know, I don't think he's going to stay at quite the level that he's been at so far this year in terms of his percentage. It would be nice to have someone else who can attack off the dribble and also shoot. And that is what Fultz, of course, was supposed to be. And so we may look at because remember too they're going to have to replace reddick at some point in free agency as well and so they don't really have another way to get that creator other than through faults unless they really get one of the big stars or they can get into the draft with that lakers pick or the king's pick in the next year so i do think sarich is still better served coming off the bench unless he really improves as a shooter he's always going to be a little limited defensively although again his effort on that end has been exemplary so far this year so he has played better that unit has looked good better than i thought it would but it still is not the ideal fit in my opinion i mean this is a team that is ranked in the 20s in offense this season and so you you think really especially when simmons is out of the game when it beads out of the game they need someone who can be really a high-end offensive creator off the dribble when i was talking with Derek bodner for real jam radio a couple weeks ago i posited the idea and i wasn't necessarily advocating for this but that sharich was that unit zaza pachulia meaning that a group of Reddick, Covington, Simmons, and Embiid with a competent fifth player would do well. And Sharch has certainly deserves credit for his contributions to that. But I think that there are better fits that exist. He has helped the rebounding and he's a wonderful interior passer. But those aren't necessarily the strengths that you're looking for in that lineup. As you said, they need to replace Reddick. And they can go in a lot of different ways. And what is really nice about having him on this contract, so it's, you know, rookie scale. So two more years that are team control controlled but at low value more importantly and then restricted for agency is that you can treat him as an option he doesn't have to you don't have to throw him by the wayside this is always in a continuum and you know in case of injury to somebody else that he can slide in and make it work to a point but yeah i think they need at least one more creator in the long term and then whether it's reddick or somebody else a knockdown shooter and they can do a lot of different things and make that work but i think they need at least a couple more options uh our buddy con i'm actually going to go on his podcast next week my four 
former SBC student asks, uh, what is your process for stats research? I like using NBA.com, bounce around, clean the gas, et cetera. It all depends, of course, on what we're looking at, right? Uh, I think a lot of times when I want to look at just try to establish a statistical profile of a player you know I, just, I start just with basketball reference the advanced tab just look at his overall efficiency true shooting percentage i'll look at that a lot and so get an idea just of whether in a very ten thousand foot sense it looks like this guy has been an effective player and especially if it's a, a guy who creates more often so that's usually where i'll start i mean unless i already have a good feel for where that guy is at already then i i like to look at the play type data as well to get it a and if we're talking about just pure stats obviously i'll look at a lot of film too uh especially if i see that there is a number that is different from what i kind of had as a preconceived notion of what this player was but i'll look at the play type data to see you know how is this guy getting his points is he spotting up is he going and pick and roll posting up iso get an idea of like what his offense looks like as well defensively you know it of course is harder but it really depends depends what your purpose is if you're trying to come up with a scouting report for a guy i mean i think number one is just kind of getting an idea first of just generally what the statistical profile is like and then looking at film of those type of plays to see within that category how he's been effective or not effective as the case may be also i like to look at what a guy is shooting from various zones that's obviously something that that's very useful at the rim from three what percentage are they taking from each range i mean i think if you look at all that you can get a pretty decent idea of how a guy is playing offensively and then on defense obviously then you can look at more at the on off stuff as well i don't look at the on off stuff quite as much offensively unless it's a guy who you have reason to think hey you know what like he would be better than some of his stats would indicate offensively such as a great shooter or a guy who's really you know a total zero offensively you know a roy hibbert type of player um so yeah that, that's about it i mean it really depends if you're from an individual standpoint that's what i'll look at and you know when we do the 15 and 60 i mean we watch enough that i think danny you can speak to this too that just your questions come to mind as you're watching like oh this would be something interesting to look at i mean there's always more to learn and so that we generally i think just follow our own curiosities right and and i was thinking about it more from a team perspective and for me if i have a question that i want answered i generally know where I'm going to be looking. So one of the useful tabs that I've been going to a fair amount is on cleaning the glass. You can go to the team pages and you can basically get kind of the equivalent of like the four factors page and the shooting page, but you can compare it to that team's other historical data. So for example, that was a really nice resource when I was doing the comparison of the Raptors offense in terms of shot distribution oh, yeah. prior seasons. So you get that context. And then on the other part of that same page, you can see success. And so those are two parts of the same coin so like for example i was uh, another one was i was trying to figure out well i still am what's going on with the blazers defense and so you could see okay well the shots they're forcing are largely similar but maybe an opponent is being way more successful at something in that case it's three-point shooting so they you know in prior years they were being really they were getting bad luck with three-point shooters and this year they've been getting better luck i don't know if that changed with the bradley beal game but so you get into that and sometimes what i do and you can tell if like if for people who listen closely to a 15 and 60 you can tell when i've done something like this because you start to hear the similar stats is sometimes i just go on like a i call it kind of a fishing expedition where i just i pick a couple of things and i'm just like is there anything here that looks wrong and if there's something that looks wrong or something that's really an extreme that I wasn't necessarily anticipating, then I'll throw that. And I often do that on like Friday or Saturday because then that can inform. And like sometimes I throw it to you or to Liam or to myself as an idea of like, hey, maybe we could look into this. And so that happens too. So sometimes it could be like opponents free, th- like opponent shooting percentage at the rim, or it could be, you know, anything. And then the other element that you just get more comfortable with with time is just knowing where to look for specific things. So like I use NBA.com's on off tool. I think that's a really good one. I'm not even sure the right way to get there. I just have it saved as a bookmark. So that's how I get there. 
And then you can use, there's an impact tool there, NBA Wowie, if you're getting into some of the more complicated on-offs. And so you just, you figure that stuff out with time, with trial and error, and by people telling you about new stuff. And But but I have gone more to cleaning the glass because I really do like the idea of filtering out non-representative time. I think part of that is also being so familiar with the Golden State Warriors and knowing that their garbage time is particularly non-representative. And so I was just like, okay, you know, filtering that stuff out, I think that leads to, it leads to a better base of information. And so you need to know what you're looking for and, and, and also like just tool around, just find different stuff. I mean, I've every once in a while, and sometimes the stuff you find isn't perfect. And sometimes like I had one where a bunch of people were, were retweeted because I had a positive thing about Joel Embiid with uh, the difference in opponent field goal percentage. And then I was about to tweet out the thing about just at the rim and a bunch of people were like, oh, you know, that's the better stat. And I'm like, I know I was about to tweet at the same time. So know all that but you know just just tool around and find something fun all right lots more to get to on the mailbag also got to talk about the two games we did tonight for the twitter nba show clippers minnesota and charlotte golden state but first this from our friends at at blinds.com the copy they gave me it says that you don't usually think about blinds that's kind of true though i as an observant person uh, i probably have always looked at blinds a, a little bit more especially bad ones like for me it's not even that they look cheap but it's just when like the mechanism is not really that good to like open or close them like it doesn't like the house we moved into has like a few blinds there and it has like this chain mechanism that is i don't really enjoy it like you have to pull it like so far to actually get the blinds to go down then like it gets in the way of the chain when they actually go down so when they're wrong it's just it's not good we have a ton of windows in our house we got to get some blinds gonna go to blinds.com where they offer a free online design consultation if you need help getting started i worked with a wonderful woman named dan Danielle, the last time uh, I worked with blinds.com, you can send in pictures of your home. You can get custom professional recommendations in return. They'll send you free samples to make everything looks just as good in person and, and shipping is free. And if you mismeasure or pick the wrong color, they will remake your blinds for free. So there's really no risk of that happening. By the way, quick aside, you remember how I used to complain about my blinds at, at the place we rented because like they're installed improperly. My cheap landlord uh, is trying to actually charge us because they got messed up and because he was too lazy to install them properly and then they got messed up as we tried to like operate them normally and so now he's trying to actually charge us like 500 bucks to to replace it which i I can't believe that but anyway uh looks like uh he will have to go to blinds.com too because uh i'm certainly not paying that and uh maybe they can get blinds.com can help teach him how to install it properly uh maybe i'll send that to him in my latest letter when i tell him that we're not paying that uh that he can use the promo code cap space and get 20 percent off everything at blinds.com that's blinds.com promo code cap space you can get 20 percent off everything faux wood blind cellular shades roller shades and more blinds.com promo code cap space rules and restrictions apply let them know that you came from us so let's see uh, next here marcus mitchell asks, what is the functional difference between an offense heavy and dribble handoffs compared to one with more traditional pick and roll do the two plays have distinct advantages and disadvantages given certain personnel and what i would say to that is absolutely uh, dho's make more use of bigs who can pass and make decisions uh, around the perimeter dho's much more often take place uh, on the wing you don't see as much uh, we've seen a little bit more of that spinulous pick and roll which is actually a handoff i talked about that extensively when i had aaron jackson on the show uh, over the summer and the jazz run a, a lot of that now for donovan mitchell he used to run it for gordon hayward but generally dho's will occur on the side but the good thing about dho's is it's really tough for the defense to keep the ball out of the middle on those plays usually a side pick and roll now everybody is there to ice it but if you're flying off a dho it's much harder for the defense to send you towards the baseline you can get middle if the guy doesn't just completely break it up and so the fact the prevalence of dho's really is what has made both defense and offense much more tiring because you see guys just rocketing off out of the corner for those dho's and with dribble handoffs i think you got to have bigs who can make decisions you know i mean if you're and you got to have bigs that you need to guard outside as well and then it also helps of course on a dho if you have a guy who can shoot if you go under it because i think on a dho it's really easier to shoot a three from the wing because you don't have to dribble first you can just get the handoff and stop and pop if the guy goes under on you and so if you have good personnel dho's work a little bit better too i think for wing players maybe not necessarily for just straight up pick and roll 
guys it's harder to switch those as well and you still get some of that rolling to the basket too from the side if you can get middle uh because a lot of times the big will have to step up and help but you know if you have like a great regular point guard or you have a great dive man in pick and roll you know john wall marcin gortat like those guys work a little bit more in high pick and roll beal he'll work a little bit more on the side too and the other nice thing about a dho is you can switch sides of the floor pretty easily and and so there's definitely i I think those work if you have the right personnel extremely well and it also has the advantage of hey at least the big gets to touch the ball right you a dho is usually going to occur when you've at least reversed the ball from side to side and you know a, a pick and roll can be a dho too a lot of times you'll see now where if they try to do a side pick and roll as the big is coming over they'll just throw him the ball and then try to rock it to the middle of the floor and get the ball back it's basically a pick and roll but it's kind of a dho so there's so many ways to kind of put those two things together but those are what i see as the relative advantages and disadvantages one thing i wanted to ask you just anecdotally to me it seems like they call fewer illegal screens on dho's than they do on pick and rolls at least like kind of per per capita or per incidence does does that make sense to you like that that that, that. yeah you know i'm not sure about that i think it is probably the case that it's a little bit harder to get a good screen on a dho because you're also worrying at the same time about dribbling the ball i mean you basically you're dribbling the ball at the same time as you're trying to get in position for the screen you've got to do the handoff you can't just do like the little like quick al horford elbow that we demonstrated on the twitter nba show today where you kind of you know get outside of the of your body and then you know you're also vulnerable to uh, kind of spinning around and stuff but the nice thing about a dho is it's much easier to go back door too right so you can't if you dribble at the guy then and you're worried about getting cut off you can go back door. I mean, that doesn't really necessarily answer your question but it, it occurred to me so you know I, I don't think that you're gonna see more legal screens i think it's easier to set a good screen uh, on a straight up pick and roll you can flip the angle of the screen on a straight up pick and roll as well from out top i mean a lot of it too is just simply the difference because between doing a dho on the side and a high screen roll you know, a lot of that is kind of the difference too but i do think it's easier to get a good screen when you are uh up top but you know from the side it's kind of tougher to see whether you know a foul has been committed but i think it, as a big if you're trying to dribble the ball setting that screen is difficult I think this one will be faster from uh, Dimitrik Edwards asked, is it feasible for the NBA to adopt a system like baseball where you get drafted out of high school, but attending college, you have to go for at least two years? Would this help make the G League a viable minor league for the NBA? And the answer to the is it feasible question is yes. I mean, they could do that if they wanted to. The fundamental problem with it, though, is a very basic question, which is who benefits. And if going to that, and I'm saying that as opposed to just going with a straight, you can leave whenever you want rule, the biggest beneficiary there our colleges. The NBA does not benefit from that as much as, and our, our mutual friend Ethan Sherwood-Strauss talks about this a lot, that you're feeding a competitor who it's not like you play on a different day or anything like that. College games are broadcast on many of the same networks at the same times. And so yeah, college coaches would get greater continuity, but there, and, and college isn't as good for developing players as the NBA is broadly. There are of course exceptions to that, but generally speaking. So I don't think it would help in that way. I do think that having high school kids being able to come out would lead to greater importance for the G League just because that would be an option for players and that would be a good thing because because it, it would just for certain players you would just want to give them that time. So it is I would if I if we're if forced to make the choice between that system and the current one, I would probably choose that, but I support something that is neither of those. Yeah, and this whole idea of a viable minor league so you get drafted and you go play in the G League but you're not under an NBA contract track you know that doesn't really make a, a ton of sense there it, players wouldn't necessarily want to do that so well and then i mean sorry. i understand what viable minor league means i mean i guess it just like like baseball where you know your guys are only playing in the minor leagues and get developed i mean i think you know there's uh, the call-up system works a little bit better if there's guys who really need to play in the g league with the affiliate team they can but they should still be on nba contracts and be on the nba roster right and the other important part of this to differentiate is that the best 18 year old basketball players can absolutely play in the NBA. This has been established. There isn't there isn't any argument on this, whereas it can be more complicated in baseball. And even in baseball, you know,
know, the the best players have the ability to go up. I definitely would not support a system where, especially if players had already been drafted, where they were not allowed to play in the NBA once they were already under control of an NBA team. That just wouldn't make any sense to me. And also, I, there are a lot of parts of baseball that I'm uncomfortable with, the wages that a lot of those guys get, and they have less control over the process. So there's, and the, and the whole gaming the system with like, oh, he's going to spend an extra couple days down in the minors so that doesn't kick in another year. I think it's good that oh, in yeah, basketball, basketball, you can't game those kinds of systems. I think that's a very good thing. So I could see elements of that coming in. And I do think that having the 30 G League teams eventually will be a big help just because of the convenience of it for NBA teams. And I mean, maybe there will still be teams in Sioux Falls and things like that, but at least then there's a, a direct line and the incentive structure is aligned. And that's a very good thing. Christian Nissen, what player do you see as the biggest talent whose career was either partially or completely ruined by injuries? He says Tracy McGrady and Brandon Roy top his list. And let's just brainstorm here about some that come to mind. Derek Rose, obviously. Uh, Greg Oden yeah. uh, is just a massive one, uh, of course. Ralph Sampson, another who comes to mind. Bernard King, although he had more of a career than people realize before he actually was injured, comes to mind as well. Grant Grant Hill. Grant Hill is, is my number one. one too. Yeah. Penny yeah. Penny Hardaway is certainly one that can be discussed. But yeah, for me, for me, it's Grant Hill because we got to see Grant Hill kind of before he got really saddled by it. And he was an MVP tech caliber player. Like, I, I don't know how many of he would have ended up winning, but he was that level of talent. Brandon Roy was special. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't go that far. I don't think he ever didn't really he was finish, like a top Didn't five. he finish third one year? Uh, you know, that's possible because they had one year where like they randomly won like 56 games when, when he was in Detroit so maybe maybe that's possible I don't know that if he was on the top five he was kind of very much towards the bottom there but you know just just to like because we do do this thing sometimes and not that you're necessarily doing it with Hill because he was a, a fantastic player but where we kind of like almost overrate these guys who got hurt and that's a little bit I, I think to like okay let's try to be realistic here like just because we didn't see this guy as absolute peak like trying to say that he would have been better than like you know Jordan or LeBron or something not that you're saying that okay. either but some people kind of go that way 96 97 he finished third he was 24 years old averaged 21.4 points nine rebounds 7.3 assists finished jordan finished second malone finished third so and that was the year hardaway finished fourth and glenn rice actually finished fifth so it was definitely a different kind of year in terms of the mvp but i mean i if you if you could get that close at 24 i think you're in the conversation and like i loved brandon roy he he was the one for me that was the most emotionally challenging because we went to college at the same time at different schools but i admired the hell out of him but i don't think he was the level of player and then greg odin i've said before that i would have to wonder if this is still true but there was a time when he was the best college player i ever saw play in person and that might still be true i'd have to really go back and start start logging some stuff but he i was there in the final four that he played in atlanta and he was jaw dropping as a talent uh i'd say probably marco fultz sorry philly fans just just kidding uh yeah odin is it because i mean we never even you could say one way or the other Odin was considered the best big man prospect basically since Tim Duncan and even maybe it's a better prospect than Tim Duncan when he came out I mean this is even you know before he went to Ohio State he was considered that level of player and and he would have been real good yeah go ahead what about Bill Walton yeah, no, that's that's actually a pretty good one to me. I guess it's just, are you? Do you want to decide between a guy who was awesome and Walton won the '78 MVP despite missing a, a bunch of games? They were, you know, fifty and ten or whatever it was when, when he got hurt uh, with the MVP, and then it really only had one other good year that '86 year. And you know, I mean, if you see him today, he's certainly, you know, he still is in pain with his feet from that time. So yeah, that's uh, Walton is definitely one as well who should be on the. List list um even elgin baylor you know i mean we, like so it's you know do you, you want to take the guys who played at a real high level for five or six years you know your grant hill your penny hardaway uh do you want to go with your bill walton or Derek rose who played at a really high level for like you know one or two years and then really we're kind of gone samson was kind of in that category as well or, or is it just the never was is like, like uh greg odin is i mean he's probably the biggest just never was in terms of someone 
someone who i mean mo- keep in mind that most people thought that he should be drafted over kevin durant i mean that's that's how good he was and you, it's easy to look back now and say yeah there's no way that odin would have been as good as durant just because durant has been so absolutely incredible in his own right but i mean odin's talent was uh, just i mean he as a physical specimen you know i'd say he's probably didn't have the jump shot that joel Embiid has um and maybe not quite the skill level but as good of a defensive player i'd say he's pretty similar to joel in terms of his defensive impact and then really more explosive than Embiid around the room I mean, i'll still remember they showed this miss dunk on one shining moment when he took off in the championship game from like beyond the dotted line off at two feet and almost just dunked on like the whole florida team in that 2007 championship game yeah i mean so i i wasn't at that game i was at the game before that was against georgetown i believe when he just beasted on roy hibbert and odin like he he was a different type of player than Embiid. but remember he was before all those guys you know like there were no that that new generation of centers when when odin came up he was that guy and you know it, it ended up not happening and it it's so unfortunate in a lot of those ways but i mean that's that's the way you have to deal with it i know a lot of people i mean I, I wanted to mention penny we talked about just mentioned it briefly just because he was i don't think he was as great a player as a lot of those but in terms of influential and just fun to watch i think he's in the conversation yeah especially when he played point guard too when Shaq was still there I, I thought he became less interesting when he became a shooting guard uh but when he played point guard and like you know they also had Nick Anderson who could post up on that team and that magic team uh 95 magic is one of the greatest offenses of all time uh and helped in part by the fact that they moved the three-point line in that year but you know he could get into the post against smaller players you'd blow by guys get to the rim a explosive finisher great passer like he he definitely as a young guy was incredible to watch and uh yeah i think that's a, uh david thompson i mean he obviously i mean if you want to get into people who had like you know personal problems and then he ended up like tearing up his knee as well i think uh, by like falling at a club but you know you could probably already say it by that point that his career had really gone downhill but he's another guy and he was a dominant dominant player the first couple of years of, of his career Okay, one more here. David Anderson, what are the differences between NCAA and NBA basketball that you account for when evaluating a prospect? Oh, it's a lot of different things. I mean, the prevalence of zone defenses is a really big one just in terms of, I, I was thinking about that because we saw Wes Johnson play today and I was remembering the the defensive questions with him. The Before the last couple of years, the shot clock was a really big one, but I would say by and large, the biggest one is just the difference in talent. And that's both as teammates and as opponents, the amount of games that college players play against NBA caliber athletes, you know, it is is just it makes it tough because the speed and the reaction times in the NBA are so fundamentally different. So I would say that's where I start, and so you ha- and that's also why sometimes, even though they often occur before, those high end youth basketball tournaments can be a very important thing because that's when you can see the you know, especially if it's not one of the U.S. versus world, unless the talent is balanced, where you can see those guys play more more regularly against really really good players yeah i mean much as people bitch about aau i think that that kind of basketball in some ways is more useful for evaluating someone for the nba game than college basketball because it is just such a weird system i I think there's a, a few things that pop out to me is in college like guys just get a lot of calls that you're just not going to get in the nba especially at the rim on verticality stuff where if you just kind of and there's a, a specific type of college player too that's just you know the evan turner type of guy who's just like strong experience can kind of get to a spot in the lane but he's not really beating his guy uh and then you know he might just get fouled because anytime you get close to the basket and shooting college you, you get a foul call and i definitely distinguish between you know what's a pro move and, and what's a college move you know if you're just kind of getting in the lane not beating your man and throwing up like you know a short floaters or, or a short jump shot or something against college players you're not even you know able to blow by your man i mean that's a, that's always an issue for me if you're talking about a, a guy who's supposed to be like a scoring prospect especially a wing in college if you're not able to blow by somebody and really create separation at the college level you can still score at the college level even if you can't do that 
but those guys generally do not do very well in the nba you know i would look at it as like a Dwayne bacon type was another guy like that right uh and we've seen him struggle to be efficient so far in the nba i mean not to single him out there's plenty of other would, guys would you have adam morrison in that group because i would oh for uh, of course i would i think yeah. i think he's I mean, kind of he was the one that made me realize because the, the the fundamental difference between creation in college and yeah. creation in the now pro. he could at least shoot threes which makes it a little bit easier sure but yeah i mean that that's a, and especially you know i forget whether he was a junior or senior i think he was a, a junior when he came out but yeah so you see moves where they're just kind of all right you know you're just powering through you know you're not really beating your guy like that that's kind of what comes to mind and then also guys who will play hard defensively even though they're a big star because it's very rare that you're going to be a big enough star that you're not going to be able to your ability to get away with not playing hard defensively in the nba and and have it not kill your team so um uh that's another thing i'll look at too is where you know who just intrinsically has the level of motivation uh to play hard even when they're the big star even when you know they're there in a one and done and they got recruited there and the coach doesn't really have much in the way of leverage over them are you just the type of player who will play hard on your own are you a kind of a self-starter the first guy i thought of when you said that was marcus smart there were elements of his game that's his jumper scared the crap out of me but the, his competitiveness was, was was really inspiring and that was why i didn't fight as hard against the people who had him higher than i did let's talk about this wolves clippers game first not the most exciting slate in the league but good to catch up with a couple of teams we haven't talked about much especially the clippers you know since this blake griffin injury daniel gallinari returning he played 26 minutes but really struggled only two of 13 from the field the jumper he had some bad misses it appeared to be on a minutes limit as well they started both he and wes johnson at ford and then deandre jordan in his national tv audition for his next team uh, had a wonderful game with 18 points 21 rebounds 12 offensive rebounds austin rivers helped make him look good not because of the beautiful lobs those mostly came from lou williams and who was the other guy who had just a spectacular one to him i'm trying to remember who that was but it was because a lot of what his offensive rebounds were was guys taking drives to the rim and missing the shot and deandre jordan being in the right place especially when the minnesota bigs often carl anthony towns were going for the block and you know sometimes they needed to there was an urgency there and then he would clean it up and sometimes it was also cleaning up his own misses but DeAndre was dominant in that way it was one of the better offensive rebounding performances I can remember this season I'm trying to remember last year I think there were a couple of really strong ones too I think was it Dwight Drummond I know Drummond had at least one um yeah well it was it was no Jakob Pertle against the Warriors oh Jesus that's right but but so you so you had that going for the for the Clippers and then the other takeaway from their perspective beyond Gallo just struggling to to generate reliable offense and he's come back from 13 games off with a glute injury i'm not concerned about that was lou williams was just so much fun to watch in that second half i mean there's there were so many moments where it looked like the timberwolves were going to take control they were the better team overall in the game and then lou williams would just make a crazy three or he would drive to the basket and hit somebody whatever whatever it needed to be and it was also a reminder of kind of the differences between him and jamal crawford because a the shots he's getting are better and b he is so much better at those shots at this point in their respective careers yeah that's true and Crawford 10 shots in 17 minutes in his return the Clippers played a nice uh, tribute video uh, for him after his five years in LA and I always do like to give Crawford credit that you know I certainly didn't believe that he would still be in the league and still a rotation player at this point in his career you know I mean we were reminiscing about how he signed that mid-level exception deal with the Clippers right after the lockout and or it might have actually been the season after the lockout but he i thought that was a bad deal at the time and still he is here in the league years later and but you're right you know lou williams was unbelievable in this game played 37 minutes makes you question that maybe he should have started because he had to basically play the entire you know he he got the miritich where he just played the entire rest of the first half after sitting in the beginning i think same thing in the second half but he he had it rolling especially in the second he was actually kicking jimmy butler's ass at, at times like just blowing past him to the left and pulling up getting into the lane he had eight assists as well as some beautiful alley-oops uh, t- 
to DeAndre Jordan and then it had a play where Butler just fell asleep off the ball and Lou just sprinted into a dribble handoff and hit another three it was four of nine from three and Rivers while people were critical of him handling the ball too much and not getting it to Lou late Rivers did have 23 points and was able to get to the rim and finish often enough yeah uh, especially around Carl Anthony Towns who's uh room protection he had a couple of plays in this game but generally it was its usual lacking nature well the other thing that Rivers did which ended up being important he only made two threes but they were I believe in pretty quick succession in that second quarter when the game was getting away from the Clippers and you could make an argument that without those two threes this game gets out of hand either at the late second quarter or the third quarter and Rivers you know he he has the high profile misses but then he does make other shots and so you know he did end the game nine of 18 from the field with 23 points so I don't want to give him too much crap it just seemed like all of his misses were were of that specific variety and you you we talked a little bit about Towns defense but he is a, such a special offensive player his touch around the basket is incredible he at certain moments in the game especially early on it didn't feel like he was getting enough touches but then later on he did exert his will more frequently and ended up with with a with a nice overall night especially considering he got four blocks so of course he had a great defensive performance yeah I wouldn't go that far but four blocks and two steals does help you a little bit and he did have four turnovers the Clippers strategy initially was they're going to put DeAndre Jordan on Taj Gibson and then actually put Gallinari on Towns I think in part because Towns likes to shoot from the outside he has not been it seems to me as active shooting the three-pointer this year as he was last year under Tibbs which is a surprise you would have thought that he'd be used as a spacer a little bit more than he has been he only took two threes in this one but for Towns 21 points as well and had four assists they were just doubling him every time that was the plan and Towns Towns is either able to start some rotations around or they are able to find Taj Gibson in the first half and Taj uh, I think had all seven of his field goals in the first half was set up quite a bit in the second half but unfortunately his maddening tendency to bring the ball down to his waist before he goes up it got him stripped a few times the other guy that I wanted to single out a little bit was Wes Johnson had a wonderful defensive game in the second half yeah. working hard all over sometimes it was help defense sometimes it was just on making life hard on his man whoever that was was Jimmy a lot of the time and you know that that's an important part of it this year I mean they lost Luke Richard and Bob Mute to the Rockets and didn't really replace him and they don't have that go-to wing defender but this was the best defensive game I can remember from him yeah he caused some problems from Jimmy Butler more as a help defender had a couple of really nice uh, blocked shots as well I think he got Taj Gibson uh, on one drive which was pretty impressive for the Clippers they basically uh Willie Reed did not play Teodosic still a couple of games before he comes back from injury so they went with Montrez Harrell who had a nice statistical game he had eight points on four of five uh, Jamil Wilson uh, on a two-way out of Marquette was actually plus 10 uh, a stretch four but also a guy with some defensive versatility and switching and and Sam Decker who we thought could be a big piece for this team even when they were healthy uh, he's been completely beaten out by Wes Johnson at this point only playing six minutes and hasn't really been playing much even with Gallo out and I actually liked okay what I saw from another two-way guy uh, CJ Williams who actually started in this one only got the Keith Bogans in both halves but I thought he looked the best defensively uh, of uh, all the Clippers guards at least yeah I would say that and it was another periodically maddening game from Andrew Wiggins he has this so often where he when he exerts when he exerts his physical will on a game he can do some really impressive stuff out there I mean he had one dunk in transition that was really nice he had another one where he cut to the basket at exactly the right time got the pass and was able to finish finish with with some authority and so you see those plays and then you go oh and then he has all these other ones where he's settling for shots sometimes because he's comfortable with it sometimes because he couldn't get something better and that mix is probably going to be a part of it for him like I, I it's not guaranteed moving forward but we're getting closer to the point where it's like okay this is just part of the Andrew Wiggins experience and he is getting better defensively certainly but again the yeah. idea of baby steps baby, baby steps, steps. but the idea again of of consistency like i i wonder because he's i think he's still leading the league in minutes at least minutes per game and whether like if just just to get his brain going that way if tips could ever just see like i'm only going to play you 28 minutes play you know 95 percent effort or whatever you know you don't ask a guy to play 100 percent all the time but you know like whatever that level is and then just see what that looks like on a more consistent basis because when he's when he's on wiggins is he's close to undeniable just as a physical 
physical talent. Yeah, a few too many mid-rangers again from him. And it was an interesting, you know, this Minnesota team, we talked about it during the broadcast, that their offense is very effective, but it doesn't really look the same. You know, you don't feel like, oh man, these guys are really dominating. You know, they're getting to the free throw line or they didn't so much today. They're scoring around the rim. They're getting offensive rebounds. They're not shooting a ton of threes. Uh, Jeff Teague took uh, a bunch of theirs and actually hit four threes in this one four of his six field goals made were threes and but generally you know they don't have a ton of spot up shooting on this team i still worry about their shot distribution towns and butler combined for 26 field goal attempts and wiggins and crawford combined for 26 field goal attempts and that you know butler and towns are extremely efficient and you know wiggins and crawford are not butler 43 minutes in this one in a game that you know the wolves were pretty comfortably ahead i think the closest it got ever was five um and but as the clippers were making their comeback it was butler's usual rest time and so he only ended up resting you know two and a half minutes in the the second half and we talked about this a little bit on the broadcast, but my general opinion is that a team as good as they are, and yes, I understand that they have the playoff drought, should understand that it's early December. There's a lot more of the season left. And yes, Jimmy Butler has been pretty incredible in terms of, you know, being able to handle minute, minute workload. But then remember, he's missed, he missed time two years ago, and that really devastated the Bull season. If we already saw what it looked like without him in those two games earlier this season when they got absolutely crushed. So working him as hard as they did to, you know, to make this win more likely when it was already pretty likely is concerning in the, in a similar way to how it's concerning for the Rockets. The difference is that the Rockets are way better. And so it actually, in some ways, is more infuriating with them because they're going to win those games anyway. And a lot of times it's they've already won and they're just keeping those guys in like Harden for stat padding. Yeah, and I know you were critical during the broadcast of Tibbs only playing eight guys. And my question was, hey, you know, who else do you want to play? I mean, you can play eight guys, but it's more, you know, I think maybe they could try playing Tyus Jones a little bit more. He was effective when he started for Teague when he had that Achilles issue. And Teague was playing well today, but maybe you could even try playing those two guys together, especially against, you know, a Clippers team. You know, I guess if one of them has to guard Lou Williams, that's not perfect. Um, And, you know, 21 minutes for Jang, 17 for Crawford, that's kind of about right and they're missing Nemanja Bielitsa so far but you know the the hope is that Butler doesn't go down if he does that they could be in trouble once again here um anything else you want to say on this one before we continue well the one other thing because we just didn't make this a basic point is that the Wolves were shooting like 70 percent at halftime they were it was it was a ridiculously efficient yeah, game se- for them 70 percent true shooting yeah yeah 70 percent true shooting but they were over 60 percent from the field as well like because they don't shoot any threes remember like true shooting with the team that that in that point there weren't many fouls in the beginning of this game it doesn't get to the line too much they were they were making the shots they they got and there were there were eh, the turnovers I can't remember when the turnovers kicked in but yeah it was it was it was we talked about how slow yeah, a comeback it, it started, it was. I mean, they they had like a 120 offensive rating for most of the game, and they were turning it over on like 25 percent of their yeah. possessions for most it's of the ridiculous. game. Ridiculous. So, that's, so yeah. yeah, that was that was just that was a part of the story of the game that I just wanted to have out there. Yeah, and also too, I thought DeAndre Jordan, for all of his brilliance on offense with the alley oops and the offensive rebounds, really a non-factor defensively in this game. Yeah, I mean, I would say their best defensive player was Wes Johnson. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. All right, we, we still got to get to Golden State and. Charlotte and also a little bit of news too but first this from Movement Watches if you're an international listener Movement Watches a great way to support the podcast and of course you go to that movement.com mvmt.com slash cap space url to get 15% off and of course to track them let them know that you came from us they sell watches to 160 countries and they've sold over a million so far with their classic design quality construction and styled minimalism I'm a big fan of their 40 series 40 millimeters it's a little bit smaller for me and they of course uh, make awesome gifts Uh, my mom in fact has utilized movement watches to get gifts for her nieces my cousin my fiance really likes hers a lot as well Danny likes his. Uh, Danny was getting all kinds of compliments today uh, on the Twitter show for how well he was dressed. So you know that Danny's taste is certainly uh, the arbiter of what you should be buying or what you should be buying for someone else. I mean, it's really easy to just go to that site, mvmt.com, movement.com slash cap space, and just check out all the watches that they have there. I think you'll find one that you like and you'll find it at a price that you will love. Man, I really should be writing this copy. I just completely ad-libbed that. 
they start at just $95 and I find them comparable to what you'd be getting, you know, four to $500 at a department store. So once again, way to get started with them, mvmt.com, movement.com slash cap space. Let them know that you came from us and join the movement. So we speculated on last night's program, what the Warriors were going to look like with Steph Curry out. Then we found out that Draymond Green did not play due to left shoulder soreness. And then Zaza Pachulia out after four minutes with his own shoulder issues going against Dwight Howard and what we did see was a very Kevin Durant centric attack as he dominated to the tune of 35 points 11 rebounds and 10 assists on 31 shooting possessions and while that was great and we'll get back there the the big number for me with this game was Charlotte missing 27 shots in the restricted area they were 20 oh, of, God. they were 20 of 47 in the restricted area and that 47 is a ridiculous number of attempts yeah and 46 of those were missed uh <laughs> by Michael Carter Williams. <laughs> I mean and and so you you run into a problem when you see a number like that because there's a part of you that wants to go, "Oh, look, look at how good the Warriors rim protection was even in a game when when Draymond Green didn't play." And there were elements of that in place. A lot of oh, there were a fair number of those that were contested, but there was also a significant portion of those misses that were just guys like MCW, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I, I don't I don't have his splits in front of me, but it feels like he missed at oh, least Oh, well, I mean Kidd Gilchrist, he got like five layups block just in the third grade i mean i might be exaggerating but it was definitely at least four and these were like if they didn't get blocked they were just like you know no hope layups that like to avoid getting blocked he had to throw it like you know off the top corner of the backboard that just had no chance of going in he was going directly into guys like jordan bell and and katie i thought that bell uh, had another nice game starting at the four he's actually been effective starting at the four despite the fact that he doesn't bring a ton of shooting to the table he had three blocks in his 20 minutes four assists as well continues to show great passing vision but yeah i mean it was so i I did think maybe the warriors contribution to that was underrated you know carter williams definitely missed some pretty uncontested ones uh including one that was just like you know a practice gym layup pretty much wide open by himself and that was a huge play too because that could have cut it from seven to five and instead the Warriors came down I think they banged three right after that and it really never got close after that point one of the other dynamics in this game that was important to note is the beginning of the second quarter the Warriors went to a different second unit they had to because Draymond Green's usually in that and so what they did is they went small they went I mean small is a relative term here they because they went with Iguodala power forward it was Livingston Clay Thompson Nick Young and then David West who actually played in both the first and third quarter quarters each of those for the first time this year due to the absences of Pachulia and Green and especially the surprise absence of Pachulia because he started the game so they couldn't go with their normal rotations and that lineup generated a metric ton of turnovers and really start swung the game I mean the Warriors led by I think it was about 22 or 24 in midway through the second quarter and then from that point on I would say Charlotte loosely outplayed them but when you build that sort of a lead you can seed a lot of ground and still be doing pretty well. Yeah, and uh, David West actually played in the first and third quarters, uh, mostly due to the Pachulia injury, I think. And uh, we also saw Frank Kaminsky on a drive suffer a, a kind of an odd sprained right ankle. He didn't really like land on anybody; he just uh, sprained it, and he was uh, unable to return. Uh, Dwight Howard he was breaking shots around the rim. He was effective in terms of deterring shots right at the basket, but doesn't get out uh, on the floor at all. And Clay Thompson, who had another just fantastic game and he's well on his way to that 50 40 90 season at this point with uh 22 points on only 14 shots for him four of seven on threes and so he was able to get open a lot by screening with Howard's man and Howard certainly is not going to leave the paint at this point in his career so it was really a struggle for the Hornets they also you know got 14 offensive rebounds but just were not really able to get any kind of second chance points at all which was a surprise but they just you know would blow the layup again or they just tip it around and wouldn't ever really be able to control it and so you know I didn't think that this was a game that played like a 14 point difference especially as you mentioned after the Warriors went up by 20 Charlotte outplayed them but is a very limited offensive team Michael K. Gilchrist you know was three for 11 they weren't guarding him at all and then and Kevin Durant just absolutely put K. Gilchrist in the torture chamber in this game and Durant had the so I talked about how the second quarter had that big stretch Durant had 16 points just in the first quarter alone early on it looked like it was going to be the Durant and Thompson show because I think they had six of the team's first seven shots and then Durant just started taking all of them and was making it and MKG 
is certainly a defensive talent, but it was a reminder of just how special and how unusual the absolute best of the best are. And, you know, there were plays where I thought MKG did a good job. There were a couple also, like you think about how much stronger Duran is now than when he came into the league, where he straight up bumped MKG off of him and then shot. And that's that's not, you know, obviously the Kevin Durant that, that couldn't lift the the uh, the bar at the combine was a little bit different, but he, he's a phenomenal talent in, in just getting his own shot. And he had a couple of nice passes in this game that was how he got to a triple double he also had a couple bad ones that is a part part and parcel of the experience for him right now and it was also interesting to see the Warriors try to deal with Dwight Howard because he had a couple of, of times where he was actually handling the ball and got JaVale McGee in a little bit of trouble and they tried Kevon Looney at one point and that didn't really work and so then that's also when necessity was the mother invention in terms of having David West start the second half because West was the Warriors best big on Dwight Howard yeah and West continues to have a, a great great season you know his hands defensively I mean against all but the most athletic guys he's really still he's got that 7-4 wingspan as well as does you know seemingly everyone on the Warriors um any other Charlotte observations on this actually you know I was really impressed by uh the defense of Travion Graham and he actually hit his one three-pointer as well I mean he had one sequence that we tweeted out from uh our intern Ben Dole that tweeted it out but you can go back and see it at, at Nate Duncan NBA during the game where he denied Thompson on a flare cut when the ball was in the post and then also denied him on the ensuing back door it was really a nice play by Graham and I thought he really got into Thompson and then Charlotte played much better in the second half in part because uh, first of all they hit two threes with Kemba Walker like right at the end of the first half uh, that kind of got them back into contact after they had been down by 20 they were down 15 at half and then they just played much harder defense like Nikola Batum got hot uh, offensively just hitting some tough long twos and then also he was terrible defensively on Clay Thompson in the first half and then really got into it uh, a lot more in the second half and played one of his better defensive halves in a while that we've seen from him which is you know, it's a little disappointing that he he's not really that great of a one-on-one defender because he's very upright you know he doesn't get into a great stance he doesn't have a ton of strength but I thought he did a nice job on Thompson and showed maybe that he's, he's capable of a little more and this ended up being pretty much a defensive game 101 87 uh the Warriors did not score incredibly well despite the explosion from Durant and Durant actually he cooled down and took some bad shots in the second half but uh he and Thompson were the only Warriors to attempt at double figures in shot attempts there the other one we should mention Quinn Cook got his first NBA start he is a two-way player who played for Duke and and has was I believe he was the D-League player of the year last year and he yeah, he's averaging 25 a game in, in yeah. the G-League right now and so he's not no one is going to replicate Steph Curry and I thought the Warriors generally did a very good job of just having him fill a different role so they wanted him to compete on defense he was guarding Kemba Walker for the most part and that like because they couldn't really put clay on him because then you have all the other challenges they have big guys and and so they didn't want to go in that direction for the most part they did a little bit and so Quinn Cook didn't he didn't run a ton of offense he didn't really gun for his own looks he took shots when they were presented to him he he ended up three of seven from the field two of four from three made passes when he had to and defended hard and really even without Draymond and Steph Curry that's all they really needed all right i think we're done uh, on this game let's hit a little bit of news out of dallas nerland's noel has been questionable the last few games and now it turns out that he's going to have surgery on his left thumb i mean he's not playing anyway uh and rick said he's been out for several weeks and then uh, mark cuban uh, gave a fawning statement about noel how he could have handled this so poorly and he's out of the rotation and it's a contract year for him and blah blah and he's still been you know a good guy and he really enjoys hot dogs uh, from the media room at halftime and uh you know he, he just uh, couldn't be a better citizen and oh yeah you know we don't think he's any good and we're not playing him <laughs> i mean it, it was just kind of like, you know mark it was mark just kind of being like all right i'm trying to be player friendly here but uh you know didn't really uh it was just funny to see that statement from mark we actually have a couple pieces of Suns news. The first one is that Devin Booker has a strain of his left, I think it's his left adductor muscle. So he's going to be out two to three weeks. Of course, that will strongly hinder the Suns offense. They will look very different.
different without him. And then the other piece of news is that they are going to become the first team to convert a two-way contract, this one for Mike James, into a standard NBA contract. So that's exciting to, to get that done. And because the Suns have 15 players on roster, whether all of them are amazing or not is a different question. That means they have to actually clear a roster spot, which is something they're going to have to do in the near term. And unlike most teams, as bad as the Suns have been, there is not really a clear-cut answer here, partially because you don't want to let a guy with a bad contract that runs multiple seasons go right now because then you commit yourself to whatever decision you make. Yeah, you, now you can't trade that guy. You can't get rid of him. You can't stretch him. I mean, at least for this year, you can do it for next year still, but he's on the books so for this year. I mean, they've got Tyson Chandler. They've got Jared Dudley. They've got Brandon Knight, all of whom might fall into that category. It looks like Woj, his piece on it, presaging that perhaps Derek Jones Jr. will be the one uh, let go and I if I had to predict I would agree that it would be him as well with James having nearing having spent the maximum of 45 days uh, on the NBA roster and I think if Jones Jr. does in fact let go there are some teams that should claim he's a guy just has some athleticism on the wing you know pretty young uh, only played uh, the one year where I think he had ended up having to leave UNLV and so airplane mode as he's called hopefully he'll be on a team so he can be in the dunk contest again because uh pat mccaw said we didn't see the best from him last year but also i think his athleticism you know a team should take a chance on him especially a team that just doesn't have anything really at the three and the bulls who i believe now have waiver priority with it having flipped over to december now it's inverse order of the standings uh or, or sacramento even would be another one too though who they're gonna cut would be trickier but i think the bulls you know could move on from k felder who you know they claimed him and i thought that was a good claim but he's not gonna be a part of their long-term plans and maybe jones is someone that they could develop and they certainly have plenty of playing time to give him a shot they got no one else at the three and they can try to develop him with their windy city bulls franchise the other key part of this is that a team should definitely try to claim him because Derek jones if they yeah. if they want to is on an extremely team-friendly contract his he has the kind of the latest guarantee dates for the next couple of years and then even if if it becomes to that his final year is a team option so if he's so good that you would want to have his has a restricted free agent in 2019 instead of having him at the minimum you can do that and so yeah and he's on the hinky special he's on the hinky special and so that would be a logical thing for a lot of teams just either if they have a roster spot to burn or a trade exception like I, I think there are a lot of teams that even though I don't I'm not the biggest believer in him as a player the sheer urgency and the need for wings in this league means that it's worth giving him a shot now any player who's on a minimum contract a team any team can claim him however although Jones is making the minimum he he is not on a technically a minimum contract which may be only two years or less in fact you know he's on that four-year deal so a team must have either a trade exception or cap space to claim him and chicago certainly falls into that category they have uh they're technically over the cap but that's due to that butler trade exception so they could dig into that or they could renounce the butler trade exception and uh claim jones that way if they want to also probably would just use part of the trade exception to stay over the cap still brooklyn and other teams that I think you know has the space they could maybe use another guy who could play some three or four as well I think Indiana another team under the cap doesn't really have anyone who can defend on the wing right now and you know we don't need to get into who they would drop and so you know we always talk about oh you know who's which of these guys are going to get claimed but we don't see too many guys get claimed anymore I think usually most teams agents are or most players agents are able to kind of finagle it so they don't get claimed and they can go where they want or you know if a guy's getting released there's usually a reason but i think he has enough physical talent uh, that they should look at him that's probably enough uh, on him though last thing evan fournier suffering what looks like it could be a significant ankle sprain uh had to be helped off uh, in overtime against atlanta so the hits continue to keep coming here for orlando and we talked about how bad their bench is and so if he can't go it'll probably be uh oh man i mean i probably would just start augustine and peyton together i think would be my approach rather than elevating uh, aaron aflalo yeah i think that'd be fair can we end this with I don't even need to make a comment well, on it. No, no, no. We we do have we do have one more thing too, and th and that is that Hornets coach Steve Clifford. Oh yeah, you know, I had Rich Cho on yesterday, um, and Rich, you know, presumably didn't want to discuss this, and that's why it didn't come up. But understandably so at the time, as they've been protective of Clifford's privacy as to the exact nature of why he's taking this personal leave. But it is apparently health related. So Stephen Silas, uh, their lead assistant, coached 
against the Warriors and, and will probably uh, continue to do so as Clifford had also missed a Monday's game against the Magic. Uh, and so we don't know how long this health-related issue is going to take, but uh, hopefully it's nothing too serious uh, for Clifford. So where I wanted to end this, a game that we did not cover, even though people incessantly asked us on the Twitter NBA show, was Bucks pistons And one of the more curious elements of that was Jason Kidd intentionally fouling up four with 10 seconds left. And so Matt Velasquez of the Milwaukee, I think it's the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, asked him about it. And this is Jason Kidd's quote. They're trying to play the game of quick twos to save their timeouts. So we'll just play the free throw game with them. I believe that my guys will make the free throws. If they miss one, it works. It's a free throw game no matter what, but we wanted to send them to the line and it worked out. Yeah, now, if you're up three, I understand fouling because you don't want to give him a chance to tie. But I mean, number one, you're exposing yourself to a situation where by fouling, where if they make the first and then get an offensive rebound, you're giving them a chance to tie. In theory, you force them to make a three and then you can hit both your free throws and they still have to hit a three. I mean, it's just, and especially to like have less time go off the clock as well while you're fouling instead of just like forcing them to make a shot. I mean, that seems really to, to make very little sense well, and, and also and kid remember he was saying yeah. they're using their quick twos to save their timeouts if they have to move the ball all the way down the floor that takes a bunch of time no it's pretty asinine i mean the the fact that they went back to the trapping last night against the celtics and then went away from it i i thought is the case too and uh bob vulgaris had a nice long uh tweet storm about it it's always enjoyable there and i think kid it's just what always bothers you too is that when you can tell it's pretty clear that a coach is just not on the same page with the organization i mean that's nothing internal that i've heard on that it's more just that like i guarantee you their sports science staff is not saying oh hey how about you play Giannis the first 18 minutes of the second half and then give him a rest for three minutes and bring him back in you know there's no way that anyone is believes that that's like the best way for Giannis to recover and like give his peak performance and that would be safest you know it's just he is very much just flying by the seat of his pants he does it with his rotations and he's doing it by feel and they just i mean the biggest thing about it with kid is that right now there doesn't seem to be a process involved for his decision making right it's very much seat of the pants it doesn't seem to be where with his rotations where there's just a plan there's a process that they're following that they're sticking to you know same thing i mean in this sort of a situation if that's something that you believe in doing that's something that any modern coach should talk to the analytics department about and you know every team basically has someone in analytics who's working with the coaching staff and you say all right you know this is a let's consult here like this is a math problem in the end of games a lot of times like let's talk about let's go through a process of determining whether this is the, the right way to do it or not instead of oh yeah i have this idea i'm just going to implement it on the fly without even kind of thinking about it mama there goes that man all right that's a good one to end on don't forget about our sponsor today blinds.com and movement watches and we'll be back tomorrow dylan murphy gonna have him on again lots of interesting stuff for he and i to talk about so we will talk to y'all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.